Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Um, happy it's it's the off-season again, just TBT. Didn't last that long, although I guess it would have never lasted that long. Uh, week. I welcome guess. back to the off-season. <laughs> yes. It was fun for like a game and a half. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was rough. Um, Bayheim's army obviously had to deal with some absences um, due to COVID-related stuff. Um, not even like the you know positive tests, whatever, but just more um, issues around injury concerns and health concerns and travel concerns and things like that. Um, SU was not as big as they they normally are in the middle. Um, that definitely played a role. I know we saw in the first game against Minamaki, um, they definitely got. Uh, shredded on the boards pretty badly. And the only thing that really helped bail them out there uh, was uh, just getting Metamaki in foul trouble and driving the lane, drawing contact uh, was not the case against sideline cancer. Uh, so we ended up losing. And I, I think the, it's hard to have like bigger takeaways like we usually do uh, when we don't win this event, because again, like the, t- the, the intended team was not on the floor. Um, we had a lot of guys playing out of position uh, obviously, it's just a weird time in general, um, and this this particular tournament seemed to like lend towards some randomness, um, and we just happened to uh, to get one of those random results. Unfortunately, hard to get too worked up because we were missing two former first round pick, you know, forwards, and ended up having to play Dante Green at center, just which was never going to be optimal. And I actually think Dante, for as bad as the shot selection was in the second game, and like it shouldn't be understated, it was really really awful. Um, he played really well against uh, Isaac Haas, and like we probably don't win the game if he didn't play the defense as well as he did. Um, unfortunately, I think we would have been much better off still with a combination of McCullough and uh, Tyler Lydon. Um, Lydon, who played a lot of center for Syracuse uh, when we went small um, in that second game. Um, if there's any consolation, I mean, that team went on to beat overseas elite in like one of the better finishes in, in the Elam ending. So like, they're pretty good. Um, not a lot of named guys, but they just play super well together and are really strappy. So uh, I guess that kind of took a little bit of the uh, disappointment uh, factor away just because overseas elite looked like it was in a role again, um, obviously a little different with Joe Johnson, the team this year versus DJ Kennedy, but like that's Joe Johnson, who is just a really effective NBA player, like not even a year ago. Um, so yeah, there's definitely definitely a little extra randomness in this event, um, but also like we did run into what ended up being a pretty impressive team, um, even if they were pretty unheralded and kind of like a, you know they've had some decent runs in this thing, but like kind of an afterthought in terms of you know the more the major teams that you usually see in this event, the Ohio State team, the Marquette team, us um, overseas, all the others like sideline cancer really just found something this year, so. Um, I, that kind of took away from the disappointment after watching them beat overseas. Yeah, really. I, I, I know there's no like rivals in this event necessarily, but I, I always feel like overseas elite is our uh, is our rival, um, and I think a lot of other teams and participants usually feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, they beat us a one year brotherly love. Um, I feel like it's just trouble. Like it's actually funny that this thing has been going so long now that like we know like kind of the whole deal. Um, obviously, like last year, the Ohio State team wasn't new, but like that was like the first year they were really a, a factor. But like the Marquette team has been going pretty hard for a while now, and they're um, when's that final? Is that tomorrow? Yeah, I believe that that one's tomorrow. Um, so that should be a good game. Like it's it's really it's cool. This like this whole thing, this event has kind of become like it's it's past like novelty. I think at this point, to the point that we're like, oh yeah, these are these guys. We see them play every year. They're always here. Most of the same players, same play style. So um, I think that's one of the cool things about this. And also credit, credit to the TBT people for um, obviously we had a couple, a couple teams get uh, disqualified early on uh, when they tested positive. But like things kind of went out, went out without a hitch. Obviously being a shorter, more contained tournament, it's a little easier than like what the NBA is about to try to do. But it seems like they did things pretty well on that end as well. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, considering like the limitations they have um, financially and, and everything else, I think they still managed to really make the most of this tournament for themselves. Uh, so, you know, credit to them. Obviously, we wish Beheim's Army had gone further, but uh, still a fun event. Uh, looking forward to hopefully having a, a, a more return to normalcy, uh, you know, come next year's um, event. Uh, and, you know, I, I know you mentioned the NBA. We don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but obviously a... Uh, not the easiest situation, I, I, I think, based on 
just like what we what we know right now, what we're going to know um, about the NBA. I think I think given the amount of absences, especially on the Eastern Conference side, I think this thing would have been better off just jumping into the playoffs with uh, with maybe just the top sixteen te- uh, teams um, seated. Uh, and no conferences, and, and, and no offense to your uh, your, your beloved Nets, but, but but I do feel like the the Nets and Wizards have have no business being on the floor at this point. Well, even the Nets are in the top eight. Um, but no, I know. I, but I mean, <laughs> if, if we were doing like a one to sixteen rank, and, and oh, you mean without at, like, conferences? Yeah, without conferences, like looking at like what the Nets are right now versus like what they were during the season. Oh, I mean, like I wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't even really care if the Nets just like blew the Nets like the eight games to start and just said let's go home. I, it, this isn't going to be a team that is competitive in any way with any of the other decent Eastern Conference teams. Our two, our basically our four best players are out. Um, probably not DeAndre Jordan, but our three best players are out plus another big factor in DeAndre Jordan. Who knows who else is going to come down with this thing in the next couple of days? Obviously, we've had like the Richard Holmes situation where he. Uh, apparently stepped over the line to get an Uber Eats delivery or something and or Postmates and uh, has to sit in 10-day quarantine now. So um, a lot of goofiness going on. But I agree, like, uh, I, I I get them wanting to try to get as much basketball and not trying to screw over the teams at the bottom of these playoff races. But, like, this is such an unprecedented situation. I think we could have probably limited things more and just said, like, let's let's get, like, the closest thing to a real playoff we can without – really having to worry about with the Suns and the Wizards and the, the like you said, the zombie Nets. Like, I'm not, I don't really care if the Nets win or lose these playoff series. None of the players that are going to be the future of that team are playing. So it's just a weird situation. But uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it goes on without, uh, without anything too dire because every day it seems like there's a new, uh, new something um, in the sports world, new bad news, mostly with football at this point, because the NBA is just kind of pushing forward and baseball. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just hoping that we can get something without, like, it turning into a total catastrophe, even though that wouldn't surprise at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm just – of all the leagues leagues coming back, um, you know, my team is not playing in the NBA uh, return, but my NHL team is. And I actually think they have a good shot of, like, maybe surprising some people. But I, I think what, what what I'm more excited about, I think what most people are more excited about from a TV event standpoint um, is the NBA's return. So really hoping that's able to go off of that hitch. Uh, I, I'm not – holding my breath, but I guess you never know. One other sports item that we can talk through uh, before we get into um, the uh, mostly negative COVID-related stuff for college football. Um, Dan, obviously the Washington NFL team is changing their name. Uh, what would you pick for the uh, for the new team name? Um, as far as like the realistic ones, I'm kind of on board for the Red Tails or the Red Wolves. Um, it's like, you know, they're more unique. Um, I think Warriors, which is the other one, A, you're still, like, not really just totally distancing yourself from the Native American imagery, which seems like a, you know, it just seems like you're taking a half measure when everyone knows you need to take a full measure here. And there's also already a Warriors team that's a lot better than yours, so it just seems like a just boring, boring name. Um, so, yeah, Red Tails, obviously, like, I'm not a huge, like, jingoistic, we need to militarize, you know, pop up the military with every single thing we do, but at least that's, like, a good... Uh, story it you know plays into some actual uh, you know diversity and and you know American something to be proud of at least to a to a certain level. Red Wolves just like I think a decent name. Um, I'm sure Arkansas State fans will have some thoughts, but <laughs> at least it would be like a unique a unique like name to the NFL and not just like some boring like you know create a team thing. So I'm I'm fine with either of those. Yeah, I agree. I I'd be fine with either of those. I think like what. I, I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days now. Like, why? Why is it that, like, in college, I feel like wolves is a is a regularly used mascot, but like the pros very much underutilizes wolves as a as a mascot choice, and and they also underutilize. Uh, I mean, obviously, like there's timber wolves, but beyond them, like wolves is not something that, that that's overutilized um, at the pro level. Um, dragons, as we've discussed here before, is is, is woefully underutilized um, at, at the pro level. But uh, yeah, I, I'd be fine with Red Wolves. I think there's some actual like regional um, basis for it. It's not just putting red on top of a word. Uh, so yeah, I, I'd be fine with either of those. I think there's th- there's some definite benefits to it. And I'm glad that the, I mean, it took forever, but I'm glad that the team and the NFL um, is acting quickly uh, to kind of make that change after uh, kind of dragging their feet and, and, and just saying they won't do it for, for decades. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that it took, like, you know, corporate uh, pressure, which is how anything happens at this point. Um, but I'm not going to be the person who's like, all right, well, it doesn't really count now that you're doing it. It's like, all right, let's just have the good thing happen. And, and obviously, I don't think anyone's going to become, like, a huge Dan Snyder fan after this. But um, let's just take the victory where we can. Um, it's good that it's happening. Um, it's good that they're like, it doesn't seem like they're being pulled, like kicking and streaming this time. And they kind of just went with it when this stuff started. So, um, yeah, I'm fine taking, taking the victory and, and moving on. It'll be interesting to see what the Indians do. Cause it sounds like they're going to go the same way, uh, probably, probably in time for next year. Um, and then down the line, like it's, uh, I don't know if we're going to see the Atlanta Braves or the Blackhawks or the chiefs have to come under similar pressure. I think like you're kind of, it's hard to like argue, like which name is, which names are, are like over the line or under the line or whatever. Obviously Florida state has, has their own agreement with the Seminole tribe. So I think they're probably in the clear unless something changes that relationship. But um, overall, like this is the one that really needed to change for sure. Uh, followed by the Cleveland Indians. So it's good to see that it's finally happening after, you know, I feel like this has been an issue like my entire life. Like we've, I remember debates on ESPN going back to like 2000 with this. So it's kind of a, it's kind of crazy to see it, to, to see it actually happening after all these years. Yeah, and like just the abruptness, obviously, and everything uh, was in- encouraging to me. Like you said, though, I mean, corporate dollars are kind of uh, what finally talked here. Um, it personally, like, I think, and not that we're turning this whole thing into this conversation, but uh, I think you know the Indians. I think the Spider's name is sitting right there for them uh, if they want it. It's another one that like is unique and has some like actual regional. Well, not regional, but it, it, it has some history to it. The spider thing's a layup. Like, obviously, like a lot of people don't know the history there, but it's just like I'm I'm for any name that isn't like a total reach that is unique to a the region or just like not copying something that we already have in pro sport. And obviously, like the second, what's the biggest spiders team in America? Richmond. Like spiders yeah, is very available. Um, and the and, fact and that Cleveland had the spiders earlier. Um, cash in on Spider Man's popularity. Like, there's a, yeah. there's a huge opportunity for them. I'm all for kitsch and weirdness as well. Um, as as a fan of teams that have out of the orange and Mr. Met, uh, <laughs> yeah, like more just weird. Just just take yourselves less seriously. Have fun. I'm all for it. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think just to cap this conversation, the Braves made a pretty strong statement that they have no interest in changing anything, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, the Blackhawks have said nothing. Uh, last I checked, I think for them it's a pretty easy separation of uh, of, of Blackhawks. As a, uh, and you could either do, uh, I know I've seen several renditions of a, uh, a very menacing looking hawk, or uh, you could very easily do a helicopter. Um, and that's what you chose to do. Uh, I don't think the Warriors need to change their name at this point. I think they might have in the 70s, but I don't think they do now. I know that Warriors has been included in a lot of conversations. I like, I mean, if people really felt they need to change it, sure, change it. I just, I don't think the the Warriors' current identity system necessarily like invokes anything offensive. Yeah, that's that's like the the weird one. Like Warriors, obviously there is a Native American connotation. So like, if you were to go to, from Redskins to Warriors, it's kind of like, all right, guys, like right. you're just kind of you're just Putting like on. taking one half step away. But Warriors also has a pretty non-race based kind of like kind of bland connotation as well. And when you separate them out, it kind of feels differently. Um, and Golden State, I don't think anyone associates them with like trying to do a, a Native American trope. Um, so yeah, I don't see them changing um, unless you know something drastic happens. Braves is tough because like the Brave name, obviously it's it's clearly with the tomahawk chop and everything. It's like clearly a, a reference to Native American culture, but it's also like not as like clearly offensive as Reds to Redskins. I do think that one will probably change at some point, but we might need to have another like wave or two of these, um, along with like Blackhawks, Chiefs, etc. So this is the one that really likes uh, that really needs to, to kick it off. So I'm glad we're getting it. I agree. All right, that was your uh, your politics talk for this uh, this week. Um, it's not Go even on. really politics; it's just politics to some people. So I'm going to acknowledge also, politics and move on. Also, just like not calling your team the Redskins is like human decency. So yeah, just like basic shit. Politics. If that's politics to you, I think you need to like look internally. Agreed. Dan, with the stronger statement than I had on that one. 
Um, all right. So I guess moving on to another topic that people have been talking about in sports lately. Um, COVID's kind of blowing up everything in college football. Um, Ivy League said they're not having fall sports. The Pat League uh, followed suit. Hampton um, at the FCS level said that they won't be playing fall sports. Uh, I'm sure others are following. Uh, this is, and then all you also had last week, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 uh, said that they will, will only be hosting conference play. Uh, they haven't said what that looks like yet. Um, I doubt they will anytime soon. Um, I know that the SEC and, and ACC seem to be entertaining the same ideas, um, though I, I think they're going to be working together to try to keep some of those uh, ACC, SEC rivals and rivalries in place. Um, you also have the Notre Dame complication um, that comes with the ACC, which is why they haven't been able to, you know, come to a maybe easy conclusion here um, as they entertain a host of different ideas uh, for scheduling arrangements. Hey, hey, guess what? We might be playing Notre Dame uh, <laughs> this year. Twice, maybe. <laughs> probably, yeah. I mean, I think um, obviously that idea of like the regional bubbles is floated uh, or pods is floated. I don't know that. I, I guess it makes some sense, but um, the the main crux of like doing to the conference only schedules is that you want to have all the schools. It's more than like obviously distance is kind of irrelevant because like the Big Ten runs from Nebraska to Maryland and New Jersey, and the ACC runs from. Boston slash Syracuse down to, to Tallahassee or Miami. Um, so it kind of like the, the distance thing is kind of pointless, but it's to get everyone on the same page in terms of testing protocols and like kind of ease of knowing where the baselines are, which makes sense. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I can kind of see the, val- the, the value in doing like a regional thing. Um, but ultimately like every day, I feel like more and more like, why don't we just bump this to the spring? Like, just buy ourselves some time, maybe get a vaccine, or at least, like, improve treatments. Um, I know it complicates the 2021 season, but I feel like, I don't know, there was something today about how if if the season in the fall is going to be canceled, it's likely we won't get a season at all. Um, That just seemed, I I struggle to believe that, uh, just based on, I mean, like, how much this means to all the schools that have FBS college football in terms of financially. Yeah. Yeah. It just, and the networks, like I can't imagine them choosing to just cancel the 2020 season, have to deal with everything that goes along with that in terms of contracts and the scholarship situation, et cetera, versus just bumping things to, to maybe let's say mid to late January. Maybe we have a vaccine by then, even if not like, Hopefully, people have started to take this seriously enough where we're like in a slightly less precarious situation. Knock on all the wood in the world on that one. Um, but then, like, I don't think it's that crazy to then say, like, maybe you push back the 2021 season to like mid to late October just to buy yourself some time. And then it's just like weird for a couple of years versus trying to force in this season in a couple months where, like, I'm not at all optimistic that things are going to be radically better in college football world uh, in a couple months. Like it just, I don't know. It just seems like they're, they're really trying to shoehorn something in where like the better alternatives might be, might require a little bit of creativity, but I feel like all the powers at beer are going to work together to get a season going. If they can get a better fuller season in the spring, than like just whatever kind of rad tad season we're going to have in the fall. So I don't know. It just seems like a lot of posturing at this point. But um, every day I feel less and less confident we're going to have any football in the fall. It just doesn't seem like we're heading in any uh, – outside of the Northeast, like no one's heading in a good direction. And the Northeast doesn't have that much college football, so it's not going to decide much, <laughs> unfortunately, for, for us. I mean, Syracuse is like – Syracuse and Boston College are like the two – the only two schools – and Rutgers. There's only two – or only three schools in uh, major Power 5 play that actually like – are in states where things are heading in the right direction and that could change in a, in a weekend or two. So. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I, I think that, you know, we were talking about this weeks ago that like, it just seemed like football was kind of playing wait and see. Well, like now that we played wait and see now we're not too far away from kickoff and we're still waiting. We haven't seen anything. I, uh, I don't really think we're going to have football. I think this is, I think a lot of this is just posturing and some punting uh, no pun intended to like eventually move that, move the season to, to spring, or at least they should, What I hope doesn't happen here is that we don't see, uh, the P five end up with a very like insular 
um, kind of, you know, 10 game season, maybe they play some non-conference games um, and, and, and force unpaid labor, um, you know, out onto the field. I think what, what would I worry about is that, you know, putting profit um, here over, over safety is what they're going to do is they're going to end up, you're going to unfortunately see, um, you know, a kid end up in the ICU. You could see a kid potentially like got to die. And and then at that point, then, then the games will stop. And I, I don't, I don't understand why we're waiting for that um, tragedy to happen when it's almost entirely avoidable. Yeah. It's, it's particularly gross when you have unpaid players dealing with, uh, being thrust into it and i've seen like obviously there are certain uh members of the college football media community that are downplaying things but even if you're like taking the lowest possible level of what could happen with this virus um uh, and like the lowest numbers of uh positive tests and deaths and whatnot at any age group like with the breadth of players in college football you're probably going to have someone die if you go through with it when it's not safe. And that's just unconscionable to me. And I don't care that it's one person. That's just crazy for college football. Especially when there are alternatives where you could try to make this as safe as possible that don't don't involve playing this fall. So it's uh, it's just like NFL, at least players have some control over their careers there. They have, you know, if they want to elect to sit out, like some players in the NBA are, some in the MLB are, at least they have that option. And like, Maybe it's not as big an option for some people because of contract situations and whatnot, but at least there's something there. There's no way, and I know the Pac-12 has said, like, if players don't feel comfortable in any of the fall sports, they're going to be in good standing with their teams, and I hope that's true. Um, in effect, like, it's very difficult to even, like, put that down on paper and have it play out the same way because there are such, like, internalized pressures uh, and, like, unspoken pressures in these types of situations where there's, I mean, just look at the Mike Gundy quote, even before all the other controversy with him, his, his, like, we have to start making money for the state of Oklahoma thing. Like, that wasn't just, like, some gaffe. Like, he was being very serious, and he certainly wasn't the only one who felt that way, I'm sure. So, um, it's just completely inappropriate to me to put unpaid players in the situation. At least in the NFL, they're making something, and whether or not it's right to put them in that situation, um, I think you could argue that. Uh, college football players, like, the vast majority are not going to feel like they're in a position to make that choice. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I agree. I think, unfortunately, and, and, you know, parents are involved too here, but realistically these players are being put in, in a very hard spot to, to make choices about their life, other people's lives. And it's just, it's, it's not fair to them. And as much as I'd, I'd love to see sports and really like, you know, I mean, we, we don't know what the, the financial pressures um, of this and, and cancellation of sports create for, you know, for, for the future of the site, for our own careers. We don't know, like, and so I'm not even trying to like gloss over that because realistically, yeah, it does create some concern on my end. I'm sure yours as well um, of what this all means. But like, realistically, like, is that is that more important than 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 people's lives? And 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 the answer is emphatically no. It's it's very clear to me. Um, and hopefully this. I mean, hopefully we're this is all for nothing. And you know, in three weeks, the the everything's plateauing again, and we can kind of look about getting on with our lives. But as of right now, it just doesn't even seem like just so much would have to change by the end of July where everyone's putting this like deadline in terms of where to decide stuff that like it almost seems like arbitrary to do it then versus just doing it now. Cause like we kind of saw where things have been flowed in the New, in New York before the outbreaks really started in the South and, and the middle of the country. Um, like it's going to take a while before there's any positive news. And that's if everyone's actually doing the right things because Hey, in New York, where, you know, when things were awful, everyone started wearing masks and actually taking it super seriously. And that's where you started to see some progress. Uh, and that is uh, not happening in a lot of the country, unfortunately. Obviously, individuals are, um, but it takes, it's a group effort. You need, like, actual solidarity, which I do not, it does not seem like we're capable of, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, the American ideology is, I think, rooted firmly 
and this isn't even a political statement, but I think it's rooted firmly in in in, in selfishness branded as individualism. And I, uh, I I think that's really the the key hurdle here, and it's it's one that we're just not as a society going to be able to pass up, um, especially given who uh, who's in charge. So uh, I'm I'm just hoping that we can mitigate, uh, you know, disaster here and uh, and 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 hold on and and, and reduce cases and, and just find a way to to get ourselves to to something close to the other side. Uh, with as little harm done as, as as possible, and I know that's already hard to do given just how extensive this uh, this has all been and the escalating cases and how that's currently affecting like you know hospitals around the country. Yep, it's. Uh, I wish we had something more you know cheery to talk about. Um, I guess we do Big Twelve football. I think that may or may not happen this fall, but um, yeah, it's just it's tough not to like address the reality of the situation because uh, it's just kind of where things are. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, why don't we talk about a little beer here before we uh, relate in the mood some more with uh, some Big 12. Sounds good. Um, so I was back in Jersey uh, over the last week. Um, went back to Heavy Reel and Seaside where I've been, where I feel like I've gone like four or five times now. I'm, I'm in New York now, so I won't be there for a bit. But uh, got there. I knew they've been doing different editions of their Thick series every week. Uh, they had a Lemon and Plum last week, which was Decent. I don't think it was good as some of the other ones. Uh, didn't quite have the same smoothie uh, kind of feel, but still pretty drinkable. Really, you know, uh, strong fruit flavors. And then uh, they also had a Mindless Extinction Galaxy from an IPA line they're doing, which was super interesting. Like one of the more interestingly flavored uh, IPAs I've had in a long time. Um, really drinkable. Uh, so that was really good. And then I am currently drinking a homebrew IPA from... Uh, my old college roommate and friend of the program, Adam, who drops them off for me, uh, which is kind of like a kind of a hot bomb with Simcoe, Citra, and uh, I think Mosaic hops. Um, so quite a good effort on the homebrew front. Not bad, not bad. Um, had a few different things on my end after like several weeks of kind of drinking the same stuff. Um, first, some of the same stuff though. I had a Highland Park Timbo Pills. I finished off that four pack. Had a four to one peach uh, from Cellar Maker up in San Francisco. It was a peach wild ale. And uh, some Swami's IPA from Pizza Port uh, down in San Diego. Uh, finished up the Pleasant Pills and Hello LA from Highland Park um, that I had gotten. And then uh, I was uh, having some drinks at a distance with a buddy of mine and uh, had some uh, Black is Beautiful uh, from Smog. I know a lot of uh, breweries have been brewing uh, Black is Beautiful's uh, recipe and uh, have putting their own spin on it. Uh, I think I'm not sure the entire, like what the percentage of proceeds uh, go to charity, but I know a percent does go to charity on that one. Uh, so if your local brewer is brewing it, not a bad reason to pick it up. Um, also had uh, Smog's new uh, Belgian Strong Golden Ale, uh, Stronger Than Ever, which is actually really good, uh, really good beer. So Big 12, coming at you fast. Dan, is anybody going to be able to beat Oklahoma this year? Again, just acting like the schedule's as is. Yeah, which we know it's not because like, um, Pac-12, I know a lot of Pac-12, there are at least a number of like pretty high-profile Big 12 Pac-12 games, which are not going to happen. Um, I struggle to pick against Oklahoma. They're just such a machine right now. Um, I do think they're interesting this year. Uh, this is going to be the first year where Lincoln Riley has his own homegrown quarterback. Um, he's expected to start Spencer Rattler, who was the 2019 uh, number one quarterback recruit. Um assuming he beats out Tanner Mordecai, which everyone expects that he will. Um, not a lot to know on him, except that he was like a superstar, really, you know, classic Riley look uh, quarterback in Phoenix. Um, so I expect he'll be good. Like that, that, that team is very loaded. Uh, still has some defensive questions. Um, I actually think, I know it's going to be like Texas brings back a decent amount. And they have Sam Ellinger and they added some big name coordinators in, in uh, your, your from uh, Oklahoma state and Chris Ash, the former Rutgers head coach in Ohio State, D.C. Um, I actually think Oklahoma State, assuming that Mike Gundy doesn't, like, totally tank the season somehow with his nonsense, um, I think they're the most uh, position, best position team to make a run here. They bring back a ton of offensive firepower um, with uh, Spencer Sanders, who had a really good first year at quarterback, um, Shuba Hubbard, who, after, who will be back after threatening to sit out slash leave, 
uh, ran for 2,000 yards last year, probably a Heisman type back. Um, and then uh, Tylen Wallace should be back from a torn ACL last year. He had a huge 2018. He was on pace for a massive 2019. If he's healthy, he's probably one of the best receivers in the country. So I, I think if Oklahoma State can get something out of their defense, which was obviously a, it's been a work in progress for a while, they're probably the number one contender to Oklahoma. Um, but Oklahoma has a lot going for it and just super talented and Riley just gets everything he wants out of that team. So I think that's, that's the most interesting matchup, but it, it's a pretty interesting conference overall. There's a lot, there's a lot of good storylines uh, in the league this year. Yeah, I agree. Like realistically, um, you know, Oklahoma has just in, in recent years uh, really upgraded its recruiting from like a top 25 ish level Um for like a stretch on, under Bob Stoops to then turning it into um, what's become like a top 10, top 15 level um, in recent years, especially under Riley, but, but it started under, you know, Stoops um, his final season. So I think now you're seeing the fact that Riley has this plug and play system for quarterbacks is now reaping the benefits um, on the high school recruiting trail. And a guy like Spencer Rattler could easily put up um, some incredible numbers. I think you bring up a really good point with OK State, though. Uh, I mean, Spencer Sanders had a good season, not a great one last year. Uh, but he's somebody who a quarterback could really look a hell of a lot better given this season. I know he also like didn't even play consistently last year. So type of guy that you could see get um, a hell of a lot more opportunities. I think realistically, like having Chuba Hubbard um, to lean on, having the fact that Sanders is also a mobile quarterback, um, had 628 yards last year, uh, does make this offense pretty dangerous. Really the only things they, they replaced team-wide – um, is, you know, they replace like one starting defensive back basically. And, uh, and, and a couple linemen, uh, one receiver, like that's, I mean, as far as returning talent, returning production go, um, that's pretty impressive. I think this Gundy could have, like you said, could have, uh, really like killed this team, um, uh, kind of in the off season, who knows, uh, but, but if they're able to kind of, you know, coalesce around each other and, and actually have a season, uh, you know, the Cowboys could, could really be. A, a top 10 type program um, given the schedule again, throwing reality out the window here for a sec. Um, Oregon state tells the Western Illinois non-conference uh, would have meant three and O they got tough road games against CCU, Oklahoma, Baylor um, and K state. None of those are simple, but if you go three and one in that stretch, like I think you're potentially, you know, uh, the top 10 to 15 team in the country. Yeah. It's uh It'll be interesting. Like, it's it, the off season for them has been so tumultuous, and I don't know what effect it has on the field. Like, if guys are going to play, I don't think they're going to like. Maybe, maybe some guys will be affected and play less hard than they would have. But people have their own NFL futures on, you know, in their on their minds. I imagine if they're going to suit up for Gundy at all, they'll play as hard as they can, um, because this seems like his best team in a while. Um, assuming you get a nice step forward from Sanders. And that uh, if Wallace is healthy and Hubbard is, you know, anywhere close to what he was last year, like that's uh, a hard trio to beat in college football. Um, I don't think there are a lot of, you know, quarterback, wide receiver, running back tandems that'll that'll stand up with that. Assuming Sanders states like, you know, it goes from from nice first year starter to like one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. Um, but and all the returning talent helps. Uh that should help the defense at least get to like a point where it can mitigate some damage and, and at least put the offensive position to win games. Um, but if not, I, I, I think Texas will also be interesting. I think Texas brings back a lot. Um, I think their, their coaching staff upgrades should pay dividends. Ash was pretty good at Ohio state. Your has been good um, at multiple stops, including Oklahoma state. Um, the Tom Herman thing has been so interesting. Um, obviously he has a lot of pressure there and like, uh, things seem like they fell in place a little bit uh, two years ago. Um, and he hasn't been bad. Like he's clearly gotten them to like a better place than anyone has had them since um, like the last couple decent years of Matt Brown. But there's just like clearly a gap between them and obviously Oklahoma, but like just that upper tier and there's just not the consistency at all. So uh, I could see this year being another, a good one for them. Ellinger is a, uh, you know, I don't think he's a great, like, NFL prospect, but in terms of, like, a winning college quarterback, I think you have it there. Um, I think you have some questions around him, but the defense should take a step forward uh, with a lot of guys uh, back. So um, they're definitely, like, the third contender behind the Oklahoma schools, but I just have, like, a real hard time trusting them. 
Yeah, I think that's completely fair. I think Ellinger is the best quarterback in the conference, but uh, realistically, like they haven't played consistently. And, you know, looking at, again, the schedule that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> but, like, the, they had a potential here to really struggle early on, even for a good team. They had USF at LSU. Um, UTEP would have been a win. But then at K-State uh, against Oklahoma in the, uh, the Red River shootout, whatever the hell they're calling it now, uh, rivalry, showdown, I don't know. Um, and then West Virginia at Tech, like really like a, a tough, tough stretch uh, to start that would have been to start this season. Uh, I think for me, like where the belief probably crept in on Texas is just they returned a lot of skill players. They returned, you know, decent number of linemen. They returned a lot on defense. And, and I do think realistically, like Ellinger, like you said, good college quarterback um, gives you a chance to win. Um, and really put up some big numbers last year. So I, I, I would agree with you that Texas is is your third um, in this league, uh, probably, and especially without uh, conference play and non-conference play uh, to potentially harm them. Dan, who do you think is maybe – there's obviously like a crowded group, I think, after those three. Um, who would you order in like four, five, and six? Um, yeah, number four, Iowa State – um, if we're talking about kind of winning college quarterbacks, um, I think, and this is a really uh, tortured comparison, but one that will only be made on this podcast, um, Brock Purdy is probably your Big 12 Eric Dungy type. Probably not going to make waves in the NFL, although I see some people like floating him as like a high pick. I don't totally see it, but we'll make like the, the big plays, the exciting plays, uh, trying to do it all at times for Iowa State. Um, and they were like, I think well, they won seven games last year. They got beat up by Notre Dame pretty bad. But they well they lost a lot of close games last season. Um, they could have been an eight or nine win team without too much changing. And also, I think Matt Matt Campbell um, is in that position where like he's had he's gotten to like a certain point. And I think uh, obviously he's had the attention of some big programs. He's had some like NFL whispers. Um, I think he needs to have like one real signature season or at least like a couple more of the ones he's had uh, before he falls into like the six or seven eight win kind of plateau mark. Um, which isn't bad at Iowa State. Like, that's a program that is not easy to win at. And, like, he's done enough to prove himself, I think, to this point. But um, one more big year, and I think he'll get, like, serious consideration for whatever the the Nets, like, premier job is. Um, that being said, like, as we talked about, I feel like every week, who knows what that's going to look like with uh, the hiring and the Coach Terracell situation being what it might be this offseason. But, um, yeah, I think Iowa State would be my pick for fourth. Um, beyond them... I'm going to opt for TCU slightly over Baylor. Um, Baylor probably isn't on better like ground, but Dave Rand is a first year head coach. Um, he's, I think he'll do fine, but Matt rule obviously has some kind of like program building magic. That they did lose most of that defense. They do lose a lot of the defense. And uh, I think Aranda will get that side built. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, what he's going to do with the offense. Obviously, Charlie Brewer is very talented, but they lose Denzel Mims. Um, and the defense, even with Aranda being like a, a whiz there, is probably going to take a step back just based on lost talent. Um, TCU has been weird for a couple of years now. I just trust Gary Patterson to like get them to like some uh, measure of consistency. Um, and then I think K-State probably slides in under them. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I, I think if I'm looking like TCU has to replace a ton uh, and, and that's not necessarily like a great start for them. I know the run game has to replace a lot uh, receivers. Uh, they do bring uh, Max Duggan back, uh, but he didn't have like a super impressive campaign last year. TCU's recruiting is really far too good for them to like be mired in like these seven and five, eight and four campaigns. To be honest, like the Horned Frogs for a long time, we're doing like more with less. And now I feel like they're doing less with more, uh, which is just like a weird thing to talk about with Gary Patterson, with TCU. But like this program has found its way into like the top 25 to 30, um, which is not an easy thing to do uh, for any private school, not named USC, uh, but especially, a you know, private school in Texas uh, where you're just in a different, you still, you still have different situation and limitations as, as Baylor, as TCU, um, than you do as, as Texas. Um, obviously is A&M is even Oklahoma and Oklahoma state going into the Texas, uh, you know, recruiting area. I think I'm going to agree with you. I think Iowa state brings back enough, uh, to finish fourth. I think TCU is also my fifth. 
Um, I'd pick Baylor six. I'd actually put West Virginia seven. Um, K-State replaces a hell of a lot on offense, and while the defense should be really good, um, I think West Virginia actually like surpassed some expectations last year and should be able to uh, to rebound pretty well. I wouldn't doubt it if K-State's more fighting it out uh, with Texas Tech um, in the eighth spot. I really don't know what Kansas is going to be under less miles this year. Uh, they looked scrappy last year. You know, obviously the uh, the team's basically anchored by Puka Williams on offense, and then beyond that, it's kind of a big shrug. So uh, I, I I don't want Les Miles to 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 sully his uh, his his coaching record and and just his his place in college football with a uh, with some you know just not impressive at all um, Kansas seasons. But honestly, I don't. I necessarily see this turning out well for him. I think last year you could have talked me into something given how recruiting is not really progressing and given how like it just like once Puka Williams is gone, there's really not a whole lot to brag about on his team. Uh, and and, and that, that, that should worry. That should worry a lot of Jayhawks fans. And I know for me as someone who just like appreciates Les Miles and his place in college football culture, that worries me about, you know, what happens to him there. Yeah, I think it's a fair concern. I do think like they took pretty tangible steps forward last year in the little Kansas football I forced myself to watch. But like, you can tell it was it was not unlike the the like 2009 Syracuse season where like you're like all right, this is not G Rob anymore. Like it's not good, but you could see there was a difference uh, on the screen. Um, now it takes a lot to get from that place to like full eligibility when you're going to be running uh, as the favorite to be in tenth uh, of ten every year. Um, but I, I'm rooting for him. I, I think it'd be a good story. And I don't think Les needs to do that much at Kansas to, like, really not have it, like, I mean, have it, even to have it, like, impact his, his uh, legacy positively. If he has Kansas go to, like, a couple bowl games before he retires, like, I think that's actually, he kind of has, like, a, it's it, it sort of like a, a positive mark for him um, because that's just such a untenable situation overall. Um Elsewhere, I actually think Texas Tech is one of the more interesting stories this year. Um, Matt Wells, I like that hire. I think Matt Wells is a really good coach. Um, they don't it, – it's it's weird seeing them without, like, a full-bore, like, crazy Kingsbury slash Leach air raid. Obviously, they're still throwing the ball. Uh, and Alan Bowman, I think, could be very good there. He's back at quarterback. Um but it does feel like they kind of lost their identity a little bit. And it's interesting to see what hit, what Wells will install there since he brings, you know, a, a pretty different look from what he was at Utah state. And it took him a little bit. I, it, it, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of like a higher upside version of like the weird uh, Tuberville years um, where like, it was such a drastic departure from um, what Leach was. And maybe it's not as drastic here going from Kingsbury to Wells, but I could see them kind of getting mired in in a weird spot where they're they're kind of floating in that like eight to nine range unless Wells can really like get a quick turnaround like where he had at Utah State because they're just in a it just feels like they're in a weird spot especially yeah, because that defense didn't really step forward much last year which is is troublesome. No, like a couple of years ago, um, there was a talk of like Texas Tech's defense actually looking like halfway decent and it never really panned out. I I, I think that. You know, we just discussed this before in, in, in like Big 12 previews, but Texas Tech is, is in a rough spot. While they're in Texas, they're out in Lubbock. It's not necessarily – they're basically recruiting to New Mexico um, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, they don't have necessarily the, the, the alumni base or the funds that, that some of the other schools have. At the same time, though, like the fact that, you know, K-State's able to, to out-recruit them to some extent, uh, TCU being a pri- smaller small private school, Baylor being a smaller private school – are able to out recruit them. Like this is not the sort of situation that like they want to be in. And, and I think like the leech years are just so far in the background at this point, like Texas tech was seventh in recruiting last year. Iowa state out recruited them. West Virginia out recruited them. Like those two, like as much as I think Iowa state and West Virginia are, are, are more stable programs. I think those two schools should not be able to out recruit you. Um, if, if you're a, you know, in-state Texas school, like it doesn't, doesn't seem reasonable. And K-State was really like them at their heels. Um, a bit. So I, I, I think until Texas Tech fixes the, the inbound talent um, issue and I because I, I think bringing in Wells helps fix the scheme problems that were happening where you were just hiring the same type of coach over and over. I think now that that's done, um, I, I think, you know, fix, fix the recruiting and I think the rest handles itself because I, we've seen Texas Tech obviously at, at the peak of its powers. Yeah, I mean, Mike Leach had them like not that far out of, of like top 10 
consideration for a while, and he only got run out of town because of like a weird scandal. Like, it, it, you can win there uh, for sure. It's not Texas or A and M. Not that those two have had much more success, um, but it doesn't have that natural talent base because they're so far out in, in West Texas. But um, I still don't. Like, as you said, I don't think it's that much. I mean, it's probably still an easier draw in terms of like getting Texas talent than than getting them up to Ames or Manhattan. So I don't know that it's going to be, while it's not, you know, you're not going to be expecting top 25 classes. Like, I don't think it's an excuse to, to get out recruited by those schools. Um, but, you know, Wells has only been there for a year, and it's a pretty hard reset going from Kingsbury. Um, I do think if Kingsbury has Kyler Murray throwing for, like, 4,500 yards and the Cardinals are as frisky as people want them to be uh, in the next couple of years, like, it's going to be a very interesting, it'll be very interesting to gauge the reaction of Texas Tech fans. I would bet they'll be as annoyed as Syracuse fans were when Doug Marone had the Buffalo Bills not going to enjoy the playoffs. Yeah, well, there were some. I mean, I've I, personally, like, I've been rooting hard for Marone. I hope... No, so was I. I just mean, I mean, I mean you're, you're stock and trade Syracuse fan. Yes. I, I would hope that all the Syracuse fans were very excited when the Jacksonville Jaguars were, like, three good minutes from beating the Patriots and going to the Super Bowl. A thing that happened, what, three, three seasons ago? Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Oh, Doug. Hope he saves his job this year. Agreed. I, I, I think there's still a talent in Jacksonville uh, for that to happen. But, uh, Dan, before we uh, wrap up here, I guess, assuming we're both picking Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to make the uh, hypothetical not going to happen Big 12 championship game. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go Oklahoma State. You know, I actually will too, and, and I've wanted to for years. I, I, I just think, we're actually split for once. No, like I, I for for years, I've really wanted to pick Oklahoma State to like best them, and I think this could be the year. Um, I, I just think Hubbard is such a punishing back, and again, like there, there's plenty of production there. Um, I, I think I think at this point, like you know, Oklahoma is in Oklahoma State's head to some extent, but if 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 Oklahoma State can figure out a way to make it happen in, in Bedlam or, or close um, at, at the end of the year, I, I think you you set the table for um, you know a, a rematch in the Cowboys' favor uh, a week later. Again, just playing this out like it's a real schedule and not the fake one we're going to get. I think if there's a year that Oklahoma State can run that, like actually make things happen, like to this extent, and maybe not challenge for the playoff, but beat Oklahoma and like finishes like a one loss, missed the playoff, bid 12 champ. Um, this is the year with Rattler in his first year. Oklahoma's offense, you know, having to reload a couple pieces. Like, Riley's not going to win the league every year. Um, it's just not going to happen. And also, like, part of me thinks deep down that after all the Mike Gundy just total nonsense this year, he's bound to win this thing. And it's going to be like, we're going to have the story of, like, how he and Chuba Hubbard came together to, to rebuild the program in a better place and look at all the, the great results. Um, I, we're just going to that story is going to be driven down everyone's throat so hard. Right um, before Mike Gundy takes a role on InfoWars. <laughs> him and him and, uh, and Larry Johnson. Um, <laughs> go on Twitter if you're fast, if you're, if you're at all intrigued, but you might not want to. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. Um, Dundee also is in that weird position where he's like kind of unhirable for any program better than Oklahoma State, but he's way too good for Oklahoma State to get rid of him unless they like actually have to. Um, like Tennessee, like flirted with him and didn't do anything. Oregon flirted with him and didn't do anything. So like he and Oklahoma State are just kind of married at this point, and it's uh, it's it's a funny situation. I so like even if he wins the Big Twelve, like I don't see another school taking him out of there. I think he he and he and uh, T Boone Pickens are kind of just like sewed together at the hip at this point. Yeah, to me, that's that's it. Although T Boone is uh, no longer with us. Oh, I totally forgot about that. I mean, so many things have happened in the last 12 months that you could easily just, wow. <laughs> just forget anything that's happened at this point. Shout out to T Boone. Um, yeah, I totally forgot that he died. This is what a year. Um, that doesn't mean they're not still married at the hip. I mean, you you blame my stupid memory for like the things that I forget, but the things that I'll remember, like oh no, T Boone Pickens died. That's right. What that was what like January? It was like before COVID, I think, right? Jesus Christ, I don't even know. <laughs> now I, I need to know because I, I it was no, it was last year September. It was September eleventh, twenty nineteen. Jesus Christ! 
This was like a uh, very long time ago. Yeah, I totally forgot. It was probably like a you know probably happened like right before a game then too. I think it um, did. Very strange that I forgot that. I mean, is it though? Given that's true, my brain doesn't have a lot more like room for random uh, details like that. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of maxed out on like random. I, I don't know how that one made space, but I'm sure like I forgot something like at work. <laughs> something just very vital. Yeah, I'm gonna forget a birthday, but but yet, but yet this the, the, this this nugget uh, stayed with me. Yeah, so RIP T Boom Pickens, since I'm sure we didn't mention that when you actually died, you were a uh, you were a figure in college football for reasons because you had a lot of money, and that's how everything works. Indeed, um, if, if if someone would like to be the T Boone Pickens of Syracuse athletics. Uh, please raise your hand. We are t- currently taking applications for this role. I, I look forward to meeting you in, in, in theory. And we're talking like real dirty billions of oil dollars that you don't have anything else to spend it on. We're not talking like... Or, 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 or clean energy dollars. Hey, if you want to be that guy, go for it. I get, that'd be better, I guess. If you want to be um, the first clean energy baron, I'm down. That'd be very... That'd be ESF would have a lot of fun with that. Um, <laughs> yes, we want... I mean, we want like the the real deep Oregon, Oklahoma State, uh, just total over the top booster money. However, you uh, take it, get it. Do you have I mean, a mustache? I'm all in on that now. Like the Mets are going to get bought by Steve Cohen, who's just like your like classic like evil hedge fund person, and I'm I'm great with it. Like I've come to I've come to to accept it. Uh, it's still better than the Wilpons owning my team. So let's just line them all up. I got. Uh, I got the Alibaba guy for the Nets. Packers are their own thing. Um, they are the they they kind of uh, wash everything else that I root for. And then let's just roll, line everyone else up with with just awful awful uh, billionaire money that comes from uh, weird spots. This is fine with me. <laughs> for Man, sport, most important thing. Anything else before we head out today? Uh no, just everyone stay safe. Uh, I hope we have college football this fall, but uh, I don't feel great about it. I don't either. I'm I'm hoping something changes, but uh, I'm not banking on it. Uh, but in any case, Tan, thanks as always for joining. Yes, we will keep on previewing games that will probably not happen until they don't happen. Or maybe, honestly, even if the season gets canceled, should we just keep on going? <laughs> At this point, we're almost done. <laughs> So we're just going to do this until there's a reason not to. Yes. Cool. All right. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train Unions and Absolute Podcast. Your rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, on Megaphone, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, wherever you might listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>